Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hey everyone, I am so excited about today's episode and I can't wait to get into it and share it with you. But I just wanted to remind you before we get going today to visit expatmoneyshow.com and sign up for my private newsletter, EMS Pulse. Right now we are sharing the weekly episodes from the podcast, but also a ton of other products and services that we're going to be offering, lots of language programs, lots of tips and tricks for being an expat, whether you're a first-time expat or an expat hopeful. There's just so much going on at expatmoneyshow.com. I really hope that you get a chance to come and visit us, join the newsletter, and then from there, maybe join our Facebook group at expatmoneyforum.com. Lots happening. I really want to share it with you guys, and the best way to stay connected is through these two sites, expatmoneyshow.com and expatmoneyforum.com. Thanks so much. Enjoy today's episode. Cheers. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Expat Money Show. We're so happy to have you guys with us today, and we got a really special guest for you. This is a very good friend of mine, someone I've actually traveled around the world with many, many times. We've been over to Uganda, to Germany, to Switzerland, lots of places, and he always comes and visits me in the UAE. Originally from El Salvador, raised in Canada, lived in China, and now has spent the last 11 years in Korea. He owns his own business called Soul Guide Medical and is a very successful entrepreneur. Please welcome Tony Medina. Tony, how are you? Pretty good, Mikhail. How are you doing? Doing good, buddy. Doing good. I know it's pretty late in Korea. Sorry to keep you up, but we're really happy to have you here on the show. No worries. Anything for you. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> so just take maybe two minutes and just kind of tell the audience just a little bit about yourself so they understand where you come from. Okay. Well, I grew up in Canada. After I graduated from university, the University of Western Ontario, I moved to China to try to see what I could do there. It was a little difficult, especially because of the political situation. So I went back to Canada, worked there for a year, came over to Korea about 11 years ago, and I've run several businesses here. But then for the past six or seven years, I've been running Soul Guide Medical, which is started off as a medical tourism agency and evolved into actually running hospitals. So we currently run seven hospitals in Seoul, in Seoul, Korea, for plastic surgery, dental and skin. Plastic surgery, dental, and skin. And how did you come up with an idea like this? Like deciding that you wanted to just run hospitals. How do you go about something like that? It's something that evolved because originally I had another idea. So when I first came here, I I first came here, I started off, I made a school basically. I made an academy. 
And after a while, I sold that and I ended up making a bar. And during that time when I was running the bar, I didn't really want to be in the bar business. It's not the kind of thing I wanted to do. I was just trying to see what I liked. And at that time, the government actually hired me to bring people to Seoul. So the Seoul Metropolitan Government hired me to run their social media to make Seoul look good, basically, and have people come to Seoul. So I created their social media. For example, the Facebook page that I created went from zero to 1.3 million fans. Wow. And <laughs> now you see a whole lot of people touring in Seoul from all over the world. And a lot of that has to do with the social media that we created in partnership with the government. So at that time, when I first got the contract with the government, I noticed that my network was getting quite large here in Seoul. And I had a problem with a dentist. I went to a dentist and I had to get my wisdom teeth pulled out and I had a terrible time because I couldn't speak the language very well at that time. And there was just cultural miscommunications. So I thought, wouldn't it be great if there was somebody who could communicate and not only translate the language, but also translate the culture and make everything easy. So I had that idea in the back of my head and I wanted to have another business actually more related to tourism, but this one just ended up evolving and it ended up, I ended up meeting a doctor. I looked at him and I'm like, this guy's pretty awesome. I just shook his hand as I was leaving the dental clinic. His name's Dr. Chaomin Bae, one of the best dentists in the world. He just impressed me and that as I was leaving the clinic, I shook his hand and I'm like, hi, I'm Tony. <laughs> this is what I do. I work with the government um, and his eyes lit up and two days later, he called me in for a meeting and gave me my first contract. It's incredible. So basically, you saw a problem and you found a solution for it and basically the business came out of necessity. Yeah, that's the one thing I remember from business school was that you have to solve a problem. If you can solve a problem, then you can have a successful business. So when I first came here, the easiest one I guess I could get into was solving the problem of English as a second language, right? So that's a big need. I tried to solve that problem. I solved the government's problem of not having enough tourists. And then uh, the next problem was this one specifically in terms of hospitals and patients and the whole cultural uh, miscommunication thing. So I think that comes up a lot of times with people in business. They try to do things that are really complicated instead of just looking at things in a simple way. Where is there a problem? How can I help? And then build a business around that. So that's good. I'm impressed. Explain a little bit more on what you're working on at the moment because you just went really briefly into it. So you are now running hospitals. How do you run hospitals? Well, the company's grown and expanded, especially recently. We've grown by leaps and bounds. So what happens is that I have a lot of... Uh, relationships. Most of business is relationships. So in Korea, I have a lot of relationships and doctors basically asked me to take over their international departments. So they give me their international departments. I, I create their websites, their emails, their social media, take care of their patients, uh, take care of everything. So just basically do everything that they don't want to do. So I, they basically outsource their international department to me and I run it as the hospital. So we now have seven hospitals and a waiting list of another seven. <laughs> so we could be having 14 hospitals right now, but I don't want to move on to the next hospitals until the first hospitals are 100% running to full capacity because um, one of the biggest problems I've seen is people expand very quickly and then everything comes crashing down. So I've tried to create the business where it's expanding at a fast rate, but 
it's stable. So it's all manageable. You're not biting off more than you can chew. Yeah, that, that's one thing you really have to be careful of if you're thinking of, of doing something long run. Expansion is great, but uh, long-term thinking is very necessary. So what are your goals uh, going forwards with the business then? Are you looking to, to take on all 14? Do you have goals that are even more lofty than that? Uh, yeah, well, basically the goal is to run as many top hospitals as, I, as we can. Uh, so there's no limit to what we can run. There's 500 plastic surgery hospitals in an area that's about three square kilometer called Gangnam. You've heard the song Gangnam Style? Yeah, I've heard it's, the song. <laughs> you've heard the song? You've been to Korea, you know what it is. Yeah, I've been to it's Korea pretty, to see you, I think. I think I've been there almost 70 times. times to go and visit yeah, you've been here a over lot. the years. <laughs> yeah. I go usually a, a dozen times a year to see you. So how many hospitals? Repeat that number for me again. So there's about 500 plastic surgery hospitals in, in this small area. And it doesn't count the skin clinics, the dentists, the general hospitals. Basically, the medical infrastructure in Korea is so incredibly advanced and built up. And the rate of treatments is so high. Like, for example, Korea has the most plastic surgery cases per capita of anywhere in the world. Therefore, it created industries of scale, economies of scale in terms of medical stuff. And here we are with the most advanced medical techniques, equipment, and doctors on the planet. So when you say hospitals, I think it's quite different from where we grew up. Because I think in our hometown, Tony and I come from the same hometown, actually. A hospital there, like we've got, what, three or four or something in our town of 400,000 people. Because these these mega hospitals with, ten, I don't I wouldn't even know, five, 10,000 staff that are working in somewhere like that. Yeah, so you're right. Over here, we have those hospitals as well, but those are called general hospitals. I guess what I'm referring to is something that Canadians would know as clinics. Aha, uh -huh, okay. But it's probably more than a clinic because I would think of a clinic in Canada as just a GP, where what you're talking about is really specialists, people who are at the top of the game. Is that right? Yeah, so where they're doing surgeries and on site and have all the advanced equipment, which to us would might seem like a hospital, but actually it's, it's, it's a clinic. So basically it's divided into clinics and general hospitals. But some of our clinics would probably be considered hospitals back in Canada. And talking about specialized equipment, I remember one of the conversations that we had a few years ago, and you were explaining about the level of the dentistry in Seoul and how they use specialized surgical microscopes. Can you tell me about that? Because coming from North America, I'd never heard of anything like this. Well, that's because less than 1% of dentists around the world know how to use a dental surgical microscope and have one. First of all, because it's very, very expensive, like uh, half a million US dollars or even a million US dollars for a dental surgical microscope. Plus you need years and years of training. It, so most dentists just don't have it. But imagine having a dentist work on you with his naked eye or a dentist work on you with a magnification power of 10. The surgeries and the skill and the final result is much different. Uh, here in Korea, there's 133 dental surgical microscopes. But most are at teaching hospitals. Uh, I think I've taken you to one of the dental clinics that we have mm -hmm. that actually uses the dental surgical microscope, has its own in-house laboratory. You can get a crown in, in an hour. Uh, you can walk in and walk out with a new smile in a day. Panoramics, x-rays, CT scanners, handheld scanners, 
It's quite amazing. That is amazing. That's why I wanted to kind of highlight this to just kind of show the caliber of the professionals that you work with in Korea. Because I think that a lot of times when people start businesses, they're always trying to find ways to do things the cheapest. And actually, there's still a lot of price points for the more expensive because people will always pay for top quality. And I think that's what you're offering. Yes, it is top quality. But you also have to take advantage of economies of scale. If you can find a business where the demand is so high that basically there's enough customers for everybody, mm -hmm. uh, you can have economies of scale, at which point the price actually goes down to a reasonable level. For example, plastic surgery, dental, skincare is much cheaper than in Canada where we're from. It's cheaper than the US and yet the quality is much, much higher. So of course it's not cheap like let's say Thailand or Vietnam because the economies are very different. But you can offer something at a high price but then once you can take advantage of economies of scale, you can actually lower the price. Just like Walmart did. That makes perfect sense. And going on from that, I remember another conversation we had where we were talking about a Hollywood doctor that comes over. He comes over to the UAE once a year and my friend had her nose done. And I told you about it. And you were quite adamant that even he might be a plastic surgeon from Hollywood who does the big movie stars. Perhaps he doesn't actually have the same skills in Korea because the amount of surgeries that he would do would just be so much less. Yeah, so you have to take into account when you're dealing with uh, any business, especially in medicine, that the more practice somebody has, the better they're going to be, right? So if you have a doctor that is doing, let's say, uh, rhinoplasty, the, the nose job, uh, and he's doing seven rhinoplasties a week, and he's working 50 weeks a year because doctors in Korea don't take off time like doctors in Canada or the US too. So they work about 50 weeks a year. After 10 years, that is a lot of surgeries. So you become an expert in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And that's we one year, once you start it. multiplying it by say an entire career, 10 years, 15, 20 years, they're really light years ahead, I assume. Yeah, we just don't have the, basically the demand to create these kind of doctors because you might get a doctor where we're from, uh, not even where we're from, in Toronto, two hours away from where we're from, uh, doing maybe a nose surgery a month or two or three nose surgeries a month if he's lucky. So that's not much experience over the course of a year and then over the course of 10 years. It makes perfect sense. I don't want the show to be about surgery or about dentistry, but actually these are really good business practices in any type of industry that you're in and understanding uh, a little bit about economics because it's always going to help you in the planning stages. So I want to change gears a little bit. So we talked about how your business has really grown and how you found problems and solve them. I'm really curious, like, what are some of the things that you really screwed up? What are some of the failures? A lot of them. <laughs> That's good. That's yeah, good. I don't see failure as failure. I see failure as learning uh, and you learn from your mistakes. So give me an example. Give me some examples. Look, the, the biggest failure I've had is not for one specific business. It's not doing something for long enough. It's being a jack of all trade and a master of none. So I used to think that being a jack of all trades was a really cool thing. You're good at many things, right? But you don't become an expert in any one thing. And the world doesn't pay a jack of all trades a lot of money. The world 
pays experts a lot of money. You want to be a basketball player? You're an expert at basketball. You want to be a doctor? You're an expert at being a doctor. It takes years and years of practice. You want to be an expert businessman? You should be really, really good at one thing. If you're good at that one thing, people will pay you for that one thing. So it took me a long, long time to basically learn that I should become an expert at one thing and keep doing that until I become famous over that. It's a very good point. It's something that uh, I'm still learning every day. I try lots of things, um, have fun at it for a little while, and then I get a little bit bored and want to move on. Now, I have had a career for almost 20 years, but um, yeah, I keep trying things. So that I, I can definitely identify with you on that. So have you decided that this is it, that Tony Medina now runs Soul Guide Medical and this is where you are for the rest of your life? Yes and no, because the way I think is that my work is not my life. My life is my work. So I'm working for my life. Like I don't make life my work. And that may seem odd because you have to put in a lot of hours into work, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't see that. I'm just putting in a lot of hours into my life and I love my life. So this company I have now, yeah, like I basically gave up a bunch of other things and I focused 100% on Soul Guide Medical and it's grown really well. But that should not stop you from becoming an expert at business, which means you have to grow. You have to expand or you basically contract in business. So my business started off, as I, as I think I mentioned, as medical tourism, basically as an agency. And then it grew into running hospitals and an agency. Lately, we have also have our own cosmetic line. So we've grown into the cosmetics industry as well. And we have some other side businesses that are, you know, related to what we're doing. But we're always looking to expand into any areas that can help. So it's not really running Soul Guide Medical is the rest of my life. Living my life is the rest of my life. And work is part of life. That makes perfect sense. I remember watching some Grant Cardone seminars, and he was talking about something very similar, about when you're starting a second business or bringing in an additional income, that make sure it is in line with your main business. So don't start doing something completely different just because you want to. If you're going to create a second business, it has to complement and add to the first business, and same with the third, the fourth, the fifth. So that sounds to me like what you're doing. Yeah, I totally agree. That's it. So your business is doing really well, and you've been quite successful over the last few years. What does your portfolio look like? Where are you putting your money? Where are you investing? So this is a thing where I tend to differ uh, with a lot of investors, you could call them, because I don't see the point of playing the stock market. And let, let me preface this. When I was in high school, I had an economics class, and I, I specifically remember the teacher saying, uh, there's no statistical difference between throwing a dart at a wall and choosing a stock or having a stockbroker do it. And then when I was in university, I learned even more about it. And many people will disagree with me, but I really believe that a rate of return of 10% or 20%, which would be pretty amazing in the stock market, right? Absolutely. 20% would be a fantastic return for the year. Sure. If you're lucky, you might get that. You also might lose your money. Uh, basically, it's like throwing a dart at a wall, but why not invest it in yourself? Invest it in what you're doing if you have something that's valuable and it's already proven to make money. So what I do is I take my money and I invest it back into my business. Of course, you have to diversify. You have to have some, some things that are safe, but 
that's where my business is growing. I'm basically reinvesting all the money I take into my business. I have some other areas where I put money like real estate, for example, that's really safe and also liquid at the same time. But I really don't see the point of making 10, 15, 20% when I, when what I want to make is 100, 200, 300, 500% on my investments. And the best way I can do that is by reinvesting it in my business. Yeah, I can definitely see your point on that. So you basically take all your money, you put it back into your business. You said putting it back into yourself. Do you do further education for yourself? Do you study? Do you read? Well, I spent most of my life in education, I guess. <laughs> right. So I think I figured that like over 20 years of it were spent in formal education. Because you went back and did your master's as well, didn't you? Yeah, I, I did my master's as well. There comes a point where... This is my opinion, of course. Everybody is different, but there comes a point. You're not going to offend me, so and and feel free to offend the listeners if they don't like it. That's okay. This is just my personal opinion, but <laughs> it, there comes a point where you have to stop reading, and you have to stop learning formally, I guess, and just do it. You just have to get up one day and take all that knowledge that you have and apply it. Of course, you're going to learn things and you're going to update yourself as you go along. But, you know, there comes a point where you just have to say, I have enough knowledge already to do what I got to do, and I'm going to learn the rest on the job. So what is your opinion of formal education after all of your life experience doing your bachelor's, doing your master's, traveling the world? So I, I'm split on the opinion because I think formal education is a wonderful thing for growth as a human being. I don't think formal education is necessary for making money. It's, they're not related in a way. You can say they're related if you look at people with normal jobs who are not entrepreneurs. Uh, for example, someone who goes to school to do a specific job and then graduates will make a certain amount of money. Someone who graduates from university will make a bit more money in terms of salaries over time, right? But if we're talking about entrepreneurship, formal education is great, but you just have to get up and do it one day. There are lots of people who are not formally educated I live in Korea. Samsung, the founder of Samsung, was not formally educated. One day he just got up and he's like, I'm going to make this. And he made it. So I am very happy with that I went through the entire education process. But if what you're interested in is money, go after money. If what you're interested in is like learning and growing as a human being, uh, do formal education. But that doesn't mean just going to a university. You can have formal education by reading books. Books taught me way more than university did. Yep, an overdue library card. There's a lot to be said for it. So in how many years you've been doing business on your own for how many years? 15 years, 20 years? Since I was like 14, so I'm aging myself now. Yeah, no, it's I okay. Guess, we'll, uh... we'll stop it right there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm just joking. Uh, a while. So I'm curious, in all the time that you've spent being an entrepreneur and working for yourself and going to education, what do you think the skills are that have been most beneficial for you? If someone were going to focus their time on learning some business skills, in your opinion, what would they be? Sales. If you don't have sales, you don't have a business. Every single business around, whether you're a hospital, selling cars, computers, it doesn't matter. It all comes back down to sales. If you can make a sale, and if you make enough sales, you will have a business. And if you can't make enough sales, you will not have a business. So I, I know economics talks about supply and demand and 
a whole bunch of other things which are very important, accounting as well. But in the law, in the end, sales. If you have sales, you have a big shot at being successful. If you don't have sales, then you will probably fail. Makes perfect sense to me. I don't know why I never knew that maybe a few years ago, five years ago or something like that. It just was not something that I was ever taught. And if you're not taught, you don't know. Uh, but these days, it's probably one of the things I studied the most that I read about the most or pay the most attention to. I would have to agree with you. Sales have got to be number one skill for someone to learn. We're just going to pause for a second on the interview because I want to tell you about this special resource that I have for you. It's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. It is a PDF downloadable report and you're going to find it at expatmoneyshow.com. Okay, why do I want to tell you about this? Well, it is an amazing resource for anyone out there who is looking to go offshore to become an expat, expat hopefuls. If you're looking at immigration or plan B residencies or any of these types of things that we talk about on the show, this really condenses the information into really easy to understand. And then from there, it gives you all the resources, links to the additional resources or who you can work with, the professionals involved in this. So I've had some amazing feedback on this and I want to give it to you free, 100% free. All you need to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com and at the very top of the page, you will see the special report. You can sign up. There's no credit card needed. There's no nothing like that. I just want you to have this resource because I think it's really important and I think it's going to really serve you well. So enjoy. Go to expatmoneyshow.com, download your free special report and let's jump back into today's interview. So say one day, little Tony Medina, Tony Medina Jr. is born and you have Tony Medina Jr. running around growing up. What is going to be the number one thing that you're going to teach them to get ready for the future 20 years from now? Oh, a little Tony Medina. Okay. So I guess the number one thing I would teach my child if I end up having a child at some point would be how to think. The most important thing that I ever learned from school came from my grade nine history teacher. I went to South Secondary School with your cousin. Yep, you did. With Harry. We played football together. And we had a football coach. His name was Mr. Pollard. And he was teaching a history course. And yet, the whole point of the history course was not history for him. The whole point of it was critical thinking and decision making. Everything we did had to have critical thought and had to have decision making. And when I was in grade 12, I had another football coach teacher who was uh, Mr. Marcus, and he was teaching us accounting. And his focus as well was also on decision-making. Everything was about decision-making. When I went to university, my first-year professor in business was the same. Everything was about decision-making. So what I learned from all of that was that decision-making is probably the thing that's going to have the biggest impact on your life. If you can make a decision, you have power over your own life. So if I had a child, I would teach them from an early age how to be independent in thought and make their own decisions. I don't want to make decisions for them. I want them to be able to learn, grow and develop and choose their own life. So what would be some examples that you would give your child to put them in a situation where they're going to have to make their own choices and think critically? Lots of things. For example, I will not give my child a lot of money. I really think that giving someone a lot of money without having them earn it is a very bad idea because all their 
thought process is clouded. Their judgment is clouded. So my child is going to have a comfortable life, but at the same time, is not going to be buying every new iPhone that comes out. If he wants an iPhone, he's going to have to work for it. And if he's going to have to work, he's going to have to make a choice. I want this iPhone, which means I have to work this amount of hours, or I have to make this, this thought process in order to get a lump sum. He's going to have to make those decisions by himself, or he's not going to get the iPhone. So do you agree or disagree with parents who give their child a set allowance, whether they do work around the house, whether they help out or they do nothing? Do you agree with them? Or do you think that is a bad thing to be doing for your kids? I think it's done with really good intentions, but I think it's a very bad thing for the kids. That, that's my opinion. I, I've just seen really amazing rich people, like, like people from very rich families, and the kids were basically starving when they were in university. We were all really hungry. We were like counting our last little few cents to buy a hamburger because we were, we were like starving basically. It wasn't that bad. It's a hyperbole that we were starving. But these kids, they grew up really wealthy and at the same time their parents said, now you're on your own. Go out and make your own money. And everyone I've seen that comes from this kind of background where they had to fight and struggle to survive basically has come out a much better human being at the end. Yep. I started working, I think, when I was about 12 years old. So I've had to fight tooth and nail for pretty much every dollar that I've ever gotten. So I definitely understand the value. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about here is the value of money and making a decision to trade time for money. Yeah, totally agree. So going back to personal development or personal education, I'm really curious what is the one book that you would most often recommend to other people to be read? <laughs> this will be a funny one. It may go contrary to everything you think about me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to give you two books. Okay. And they're very easy reads. So, you know, you can read a lot of business books. I've read so many in my life. Sometimes the best books are not business books per se. They're concept books. I, things that change your way of thinking. One book I read when I was very young was called A Wrinkle in Time. Pretty popular and it taught me a very interesting concept. The shortest distance between two points is not a straight line. Fold a piece of paper in half, warp it, and that's the shortest distance. So it taught me to think outside of the box, that what you see is not actually what is there. The next book is called Gates to Women's Country. I have it on my bookshelf. Do you? Yes, because you recommended it oh, to I me. I did, I recommended it yeah, to you. Yeah, but I haven't gotten around to it. Oh, you gotta read it. I'm really curious, actually, to hear what this book is about, because when I received it, this is not what I was expecting from Tony Medina. Yeah, this book is basically a post-war apocalypse, and basically cities have become their own little countries. There's not that many of them around. And I don't want to ruin the book for you, but basically it's about who has power. And the person you think has power maybe doesn't have that power and someone else is wielding the power behind the scenes. It just makes you understand what power actually is. And is that the main takeaway from the book that you don't always understand who actually has the power? What I took away from that book was how to recognize who has the power. Interesting, interesting. Maybe I, I will give it another look. It's a great read. It also teaches you to appreciate women. <laughs> do you like women, Tony? <laughs> yes, I do. So you run a massive business in Korea in a language which is not your native, you're managing seven hospitals for their international departments. What are some of the ways that you stay organized, you stay on top of all of these different things? You know, it's really weird. My title is CEO, right? But there's a difference between being a CEO who loves the title of CEO 
So you'll see me on my hands and knees scrubbing a floor if I see it dirty. And you'll also see me at my hospitals literally doing consultations and checking in and making sure everyone is doing their job. One of the biggest mistakes that I've made has been hiring people and saying, okay, now this is your job. And then they say, I need more money. And you give them more money and then they keep asking for more money to do their job. If you don't check what's going on, if you don't have a system where people are constantly checking and you're not checking yourself, you can expect nothing to get done the way you want it to get done. Because there's a vision and that vision has to be sent down clearly to everyone in your company. And if you're not checking in or you don't have someone checking in, it's, it doesn't really work. So how do you make sure that everyone has the same vision as you, that they're following through? You're just watching everything they do. I'm always checking. So people who are checking and I'm always checking, it doesn't mean you're micromanaging. It just means that if you don't have numbers for something, then you better expect that thing not to get done. So if someone is, is not tested for anything, you can pretty much expect human beings not to do a very good job. I'm just reflecting on that for a moment. I look at some of the jobs that I've worked in, and sometimes I find it amazing that things do get done, that there are managers who are so on top of things. And I've worked at other companies where basically absentee owners, absentee managers, and it is amazing what people will get away with if they can. And it's not that they're dishonest and it's not that they're lazy. I think it's just human nature. I'm a big fan of history. Study history, study history, study history, Winston, Winston Churchill. And I always remember reading about those kings who went into battle with their men and how the men would fight for them to the death and how they would go through the countryside and people would just flock to them and join them. There's a reason. They were on the front lines. So I kind of have the same philosophy. If I'm always away, if I'm never meeting my staff, if I'm never meeting the customers, if I'm just enjoying the fruits of my labor, you could say, I don't think you're going to have a very strong work culture and people aren't going to follow you as strongly as if you're involved and they're seeing you as you're in there with them. You're not just taking advantage of them. So lead by example. Yep. So in Korea, you're doing most of your business in English or you're doing it in Korean? In both because we have to speak Korean with the doctors and hospitals and business partners. But we speak in other languages to our customers. In general, it's very important to know the language of everybody. So. We speak in English, but we also have staff who are speaking Chinese and in Spanish and Russian, even in Turkish. Do you have a lot of Turkish come over for surgery? No, but we have had few. You have had a few. I know that there are a lot of Russians and a lot of ex-Soviet states that have come over because I remember all the stories you've told me. Yes. Okay. So I, I, I want to explain something which, which may be of interest to your listeners. And it's about the demographics that you choose to do business with. So as you know, China is a very big market, right? Absolutely. So if you want to do business with China, that's fantastic. But a few years ago, having lived in China, I saw, okay, doing business in China is very difficult because of the cultural differences and the political situation. That's why I left China. And we were dealing with Chinese patients and we were going along that route, focusing our business on China. And then I had a thought and the thought was, this is a bad idea because I'm putting in all of my focus and energy into a single demographic that is not politically stable. 
And it, I think it's a bad idea. And at the same time, we actually had a lot of Russian patients. Maybe I told you I went to Kazakhstan. We did many business trips. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about when I was making those comments. Is I remember seeing all the pictures from Kazakhstan and it just looked stunning. Yeah, I was on the presidential yacht next to the president's house. It was pretty cool. I was doing target practice with the general of the army. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I should bring up this story, but wasn't there something about being pulled over by the police there? Yeah, I'll tell you about that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so to finish the thought, we were also focusing on the Russian-speaking market, but I thought the same thing. There's a lot of former Soviet Union countries that all speak Russian. They're a huge market. They're coming over here a lot, but the political situation is unstable. And then I did some numbers and I thought, wait a minute, there's almost 800 million English as a second language speakers in the world. Okay, well, that's quite a huge market. And it covers countries all across the world, including Asia. Singapore, they speak fluent English. Uh, lots of Malaysians speak English. People from all around the world speak English. So I thought, what is a safer way to go? Focusing on this kind of thing where if one country fails, then the other country can, for example, let's say Canada failed. The economy crashed, the U.S. economy might not crash. The English economy might not crash. So you always have backups. So I switched our company from focusing on these kind of more specific markets that were doing really well at that time to focusing on the English-speaking world in general. And what happened was that a couple of years later, China and Korea had problems with their relationship and the tourism rates went down like crazy. Lotte, from, Lotte Corporation from Korea lost about... I don't even know. I think like a billion dollars. <laughs> is that the duty-free company? Yeah, the duty-free, their department stores. Uh, Lotte is huge. They're a conglomerate of Korea, like Samsung and Hyundai. But they lost almost everything in China. I think the problems came up because of land disputes for some islands in the South China Sea. Is that right? Not just that. It also happened with THAAD, the missile defense system. But the main point is not the reason why problems happen. The main point is that if you're in a place that's unstable, doing business with people that are unstable, it's a bad idea. So the Russian market also collapsed because of the ruble. The Chinese market, the Chinese dependency on tourism, whoever was dependent on tourism lost their business. I had lots of friends who lost their business. And yet my business kept growing because we're not dependent on a single country. We're dependent on people from all around the world. That makes absolutely perfect sense. That's a really good point. And it's something I'm going to keep in the forefront of my mind going forward. The question that that leads into for me, though, is if you want to make sure that you're not just dependent on one country, your business in Korea, do you take some of the money out of Korea and spread it into other currencies or into other economies so that if something happened to Korea, for example, you would not be in trouble? Yes. So I have a substantial amount of money in Canada because I know Canada's safe. But at the same amount of time, I also know Canada's not going to make a fortune. It's just stable money in case something happens. Yeah, a store of value. Yeah, but at the same time, you can't spread out your money unless you're, you're like Bill Gates or something like that. You can't diversify your portfolio so much because you need to gather large sums of money to do large, big amounts of business, right? Yeah, to make large plays. Yeah, so, you know, when I grew up thinking of $100,000 was like thinking of like $100 million, <laughs> where I was struggling for, for finding a dollar, you know, a dollar to buy a hamburger. But now I gather in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. So I gather $100,000 for one thing. I need that money. So I need to put it in a business that I'm running. So most of my money is invested in Korea. 
it's not 100% safe because it's not diversified. But I do have, for example, you know, I have my house in Canada. Um, so I have that investment in Canada and it's safe. It's not really making money, but it's safe. You should diversify your portfolio, but at the same time, you have to make money and you have to take risks. And if your business is making money, reinvest it into your business. Yeah, so focus on increasing income before you think about investing. I mean, like, I remember I had like $3,000 at one point in my life, and I thought, oh my God, I have $3,000. It's the most amount of money I've ever had. <laughs> how, should I, how should I invest it? And someone said, put it in a mutual fund, put it in this, put it in that. And then I was thinking, wait a minute, even if I made a 10% rate for a year at $3,000, that's $300, and then it's taxed <laughs> with capital gains if I ever take it out. Yep. So it just doesn't make sense. Unless you're dealing in like the millions of dollars, you should be reinvesting your money back into your business before you start spreading it out all over the world. This is my thinking. It's different for different people. If you have a family or something, it's very different. I'm alone, basically. I, I don't have children. I don't have a wife. So I can take this risk. No, it, it makes perfect sense. If you want to make daddy money, you have to spend the baby money. You have to put it back into your business, back into yourself. Yeah. That brings up an interesting point, though. I had the same thought and feeling about, say, $100,000 like you did. I remember growing up and being like, oh, a six-figure income, a six-figure income. And in Canada, someone who has six-figure income is very well off. Now I have more than a six-figure income, and I'm like, okay, where's seven? Where's eight? Like, I want to be doing eight a year. That's, that's my next goal, you know? Right. Six seems like, and it's still funny when you see it in TV or movies or something like that. They're earning six figures. <laughs> I always think the number... The actual amount that you have, the actual amount that you earn is not as important as the actual amount that you earn. For example, six figures. Let's say you earn $100,000 in Canada and let's say it's taxed at like 40 or 50%. And at the end of the year, you have 60 or $50,000. And then you have to pay for, you know, 13% taxes on what you buy. Yeah, goods and services and provincial sales tax and everything like that. That's additional tax on after-tax money. Yeah, and then car insurance and then all of those things. So the actual money you have left over is only about $25,000. So if you're doing business in Canada and you're making $100,000 a year and it's being taxed at that rate plus your other expenses, at the end of the day, you have $25,000 if you're lucky. And most people I know are like not saving any money, it's all gone. So to me, what's more important is the purchasing power of money. You could be making $50,000 and saving 30,000 of those dollars Yeah, absolutely. if you live in a different country. So that's how I started my business was I knew that living in Canada would not give me what I wanted. I wasn't connected. I didn't have a family that had a lot of money and things were too expensive. So I moved to different places where I could have more purchasing power and keep more of the money I made. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. That is what I'm all about. I legally do not pay taxes because I'm a non-resident in Canada, and I don't think I'll ever return to Canada because of exactly the points that you've just mentioned. The cost of living is so high there, and the taxes and all of the additional things that come with that are just unbelievable. 
but you can go get a house on the beach in Thailand or Vietnam, beautiful place for a fraction of the cost. And if you're earning money through a business and earning U.S. dollars or something that's equivalent, you can live like a king. And it, yeah, it's really not what you're earning; it's what you're keeping. I totally agree with that. I, I love Canada. It's my country. It's your country. I love it. Yeah, it's beautiful, wonderful people, amazing place. But there is a cost for all that beauty. Yeah. So the final goal is basically not to care. It doesn't matter where you live. Because you'll have enough money to live anywhere you want. Okay, Tony. So I want to know because my memory sometimes it goes a little bit. Tell me again what happened in Kazakhstan. So the admiral of the navy of Kazakhstan, one of the admirals, and can't say who it is, uh, but one of them, came over with his wife, and we helped him with some things that I can't tell you about. But it was great. We made a great relationship, and he invited myself and uh, one of my Russian staff to Kazakhstan. So I flew to Kazakhstan. We hung out with an army general. He took us out, traditional things, shooting range. He was a sharpshooter. It was amazing. And then we went to Oktau, which is a desert city near the sea, closer to Turkey. We're there, and the admiral's son picks us up. And Kazakhstan is a very interesting country because people fight randomly. They just look at you and say, "Hey, you want to fight?" And you actually fight, and then you leave. So I had a lot like of those fist fight. Like they'll just break into fist fight. Yeah, like fist fight. Yeah. Not like they ask you first. They're very polite about it <laughs> in, in a weird way. So I had those experiences and, uh, and people were asking us to fight because they saw me as a foreigner. And, and, and uh, the admiral's son basically was driving us around and he was very wild, like driving like a maniac, like a race car driver, because they basically owned the town because the government is also a little bit like the mafia in a way. <laughs> so that night... His son comes up and he says, Tony, today I take you to the most dangerous club in all of Kazakhstan. Only two people shot last week. <laughs> so I have no choice because he's, he's my client, you know, the son of my client. So we go there, we drink one bottle of rum each between the three of us, uh, the driver, him and myself. The translator was also there. And after that, we go outside and he gets in a fist fight with some guy who just wanted to fight him. And then he picks up the guy who he just beat up, puts him in an SUV, this like black unmarked SUV, and then eventually more of his bodyguards show, show up and like six of us are in the car and the car's swerving. The driver is drunk and might be medicated at this point. <laughs> and you know, his son is up, there's like a sunroof and he's like up out there, all I can see is his butt in my face. And then the police lights come on and we're out in Oktau, which is like really like just a kind of like a small town uh, out in the desert. And when the police stop you, you have to get out of the car in order to uh, to talk with them. So I stay in the car with uh, the translator and the other uh, five people get out of the car. And they're talking with the police. And all of a sudden, the driver decides to punch the cop. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> yeah, and, and before you know it, his face is smashed against the hood of the car. Three more cop cars come, everyone's arrested, and they, they come to me. They're like, documento, documento, show me your passport. And I didn't have my passport on me. So they took us to jail. They take us to this little, little tiny jail. Like, we're out like in a desert. There's only one light. And by that point, these people had called their cousins and their brothers, and there's like 20 of them. And they're all arguing with the six policemen. And, you know, 
my client's son comes up to me and he's like, Tony, whatever you do, don't go inside of the jail. Just stay out here. We take care of it. We take care of it. One by one, these people start going in the jail. More people come and basically there's all this confusion. Every few seconds, the guy comes up and he's like, Tony, you move a little bit that way. Move a little bit more that way. Eventually, there was a truck, like one of those big gasoline tanker trucks, and he sent me under the truck. <laughs> so I'm hiding under the truck with the translator, and we're looking out, and it's pitch black. There's no lights. It's like really the <laughs> desert. And there's only one light at the entrance of the jail. And so I can see what's going on, but if you look out into the darkness, you're not going to see me. And I can hear them, and they're speaking in Russian, and they're looking for the foreigner. Where's the foreigner? Where's the foreigner? And there's all this commotion. My client's son runs over and he's like, Tony, now we run. Just like that. Tony, now we run. And he starts running. So the translator and I jump, you know, <laughs> get up and start sprinting. We go through this kind of a tall, bushy field. We run for what seemed forever. In, it's 3 a.m., by the way. It's pitch black. And we get to a road. In Kazakhstan, there's not that many taxis. So when you want a taxi, you stop the car by just hailing them down. Luckily, there was a car already stopped negotiating the price with a few people. And so we go over there, we hand them a lot of money, we hand the driver a lot of money, and the three of us get into the, the car. We see the cop lights, you know, the car sirens, and we see the lights. We lower ourselves in the seat, like we scoot down so no one can see in. The cop car pulls up right next to us looks inside, can't see us, and drives away. We're from a small town, London, Ontario, Canada. I've never <laughs> been in trouble with the law. I don't have these experiences, right? And I'm, I'm thinking, oh my God, this is an international incident now. <laughs> so we get to the apartment that the government had given me, and we go to sleep. <laughs> Locked up abroad. A few hours later, I hear a knock at the door. Bum, 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 bum. I look through the peephole, and it's a guy who looks like he's Tony Soprano, like... He, he looks like he's from, from the Godfather movies. And I can see he's got a gun, like, just underneath his jacket. I wake up uh, my client's son, and I'm like, dude, there's a guy at the door, and I think he's going to murder us. So he goes to the door, and he's like, oh, don't worry, that's my father's man. Like, he works for his father. He brought us to his house, which is next to the president's house in Aktau. And then his father comes in, my client. And my client looks at me with these eyes like, it's like you're looking at the Godfather, basically. And he's like, Tony, yesterday, what happened? It's like, I told him everything. I, I told him everything that happened. He's like, don't worry about it. I took care of everything. And then we ate horse meat. Top it off, it finished with horse meat. <laughs> to top it off, finish with horse meat. Is that a good hangover cure? No, I got food poisoning from it. <laughs> <laughs> the icing on the cake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was painful. That's good. Well, I'm, I'm glad you weren't on National Geographic on Locked Up Abroad and Canadian Embassy did not need to get involved. No, but dude, it was, pre it was pretty close because if I would have gone inside of that jail, it would have taken a lot of money to get me back out because that, that, that's what they were looking for really was to get money out. For a bit of a payoff. Yeah, they actually tried to pay them off, but when they saw I was a foreigner, they wanted a lot more. It would have been very complicated. I've never been in trouble with the law. <laughs> The moral of the story is? The moral of the story is life is about experiences and enjoy every one of them. Yeah, and don't get arrested in Kazakhstan. Well, if I didn't get arrested, then I wouldn't have the story, so. That's true, that's yeah. true. It's a good story, Tony. Okay, Tony, so me and you, we're sitting at a bar, all right? I, I come over to Korea next. We're sitting at a bar. There's a lot of people around, and I lean in, and I, and I want to know, like, what is the one big secret 
the one big secret that you have for being an entrepreneur that if I told anyone else in the whole wide world, you'd have to kill me. What's that one secret, Tony? Get up and do it. Have you seen that funny YouTube video with Shia LaBeouf and he just says, do it, do it, just do it. <laughs> no, I haven't. Should I watch it? You, you got to search it up. Yeah, 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 it's funny. But he's right. Get up and do it. Stop thinking about it and do it. That's it. Sounds good to me. Good motivation. And on that note, I think we will sign off. Tony, if people want to get a hold of you, if they want to come to Korea, if they wanted to get some work done, where would they be able to find you? What would you say to them? You can find me at soulguidemedical.com. That's our website, facebook.com slash soulguidemedical, instagram.com slash soulguidemedical. Those are our main sites. We run a lot of hospitals, so they all have different sites. My personal Instagram is instagram.com slash one, the number one as in just a digit. One, Tony Medina, T-O-N-Y-M-E-D-I-N-A. And if you want to email us, email us at soulguidemedical at gmail.com. Excellent. Tony, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I'll let you get back to work or maybe to bed. I think it's about midnight in Korea right now. It's about almost 1 a.m. I'm actually at the office. That's the other thing. Work. Nothing happens without work. You have to work. <laughs> no rest for the wicked. Agreed. Excellent. Thank you so much, Tony. I will talk to you soon. And I think we are headed to Africa next month together, aren't we? Yes. Hopefully we'll be going to Africa with my brother. We, we've had a pretty amazing year and I think I need time off. I think I told you that Forbes magazine came to interview us last week and NBC News from the US came here twice. So we've had a pretty good year and the year is ending and I really need a man trip to like, you know, celebrate. So I'd like a man trip. You my brother and myself, let's go to Africa. Absolutely. I think we're going to have to find a little bit of business to tie into the trip. Otherwise, I don't think I can take the time off, but we'll make it's manly business. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> All right, brother. Thanks so much for your time. I do appreciate it, and I'll let you get going. All right. Take care. Hey, everyone. Mikkel here. So I have an ask for you today. If you're enjoying this podcast, what I want you to do is go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. If you want to leave us a five-star review, even better. If not, tell us why. We are really doing our best to make this show the absolute best it can be to help as many people to go offshore and inspire entrepreneurs and investors and business owners to move their businesses abroad. There's so much to be had in this industry. I love doing this work and I love doing this podcast. But we want to get the message out there to more people. And the best way to do that is with reviews. So if you have ever gotten one good tip, one good thing from this show, if you enjoy listening to us every single Wednesday or whenever you listen during the week, then please take 30 seconds out of your day, go out there, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It actually makes a big difference for the show, for the visibility, and really helps get the word out there. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much, everyone, for your support. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, 
Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.